So according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, they did a, a piece not long ago called The Cost of Raising a Child. And I was looking at this, that the cost of raising a child from birth to 18, they said would cost you, you $245,340. Is that a trip? $245,340 to raise a child from birth to 18. Now, a lot of people will sit there and go, man, if you're ever going to be rich and if you're ever going to have wealth, Man, maybe the solution is not to have kids. I'm telling you, that's a fallacy of reasoning. You know, we were talking through this not long ago, and we were driving down the road, and my middle one, Jesse, who is comic relief, if you don't know him, if you want to laugh, hang out with Jesse. Laughter is good medicine. He's therapeutic to hang out with. But we're driving down the road, and he looked at me, and he made this observation. He said, right at 250000 a child. I said, that's correct. He said, just think, Dad. If you and mom would have stopped after me, y'all could have saved $500,000. So he said, to which I paused and looked at him and said, you know, son, I was thinking about that too. If we would have stopped after Benji, we could have saved $750,000. To which his response was, dad, that's not funny. <laughs> but it is, it's interesting $245,000. You break it down, that's only $13,600 a year per child. That's only $1,135 a month, which really translates only to $262 a week, which if you break it down even more is only $37 a day, which really if you break it down is only $1.55 an hour. And after I did this research the other day, I walked into the bedrooms that night when they were sleeping going, I'm paying a buck 55 for you to do that. <laughs> Is that not a trip? You multiply that time five and you're looking for other jobs. I'm telling you right now, but you know, you can't put a price tag on that. Some of the things I was thinking about, man, is... That first experience with Rachel, and then it became Benji, Jesse, Hannah, and Caleb. Being able to count those 10 toes and those 10 fingers for the first time and to hold that little life to say, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And Barb and I being able to look at each other going, this is our baby. And if you look at my gene pool, you can tell they belong to daddy. Right? Barb goes, I did all the work, and they all look like you. I know there's a God, yes. <laughs> to which she replied, if I would have known how big the cash heads are, I would have prayed before I married you. <laughs> but do you know when you pick that baby up for the first time and those chubby little cheeks rub up against yours, put a price tag on that. And the first time that little voice looks up and is able to make that my, my dad that sound, Come on, man, that'll change a man's attitude right there, right? I don't care what the stock market did. Man, there's a little one right there that loves me. You know, I started thinking, what do you get for $245,000? You get naming rights for the rest of their life. And I started thinking, man, that's really cool. My grandparents got that right with my dad, which they named him Claudie Earl Cash. I'm like, 
well, you stuck with that name, bro, but they had the rights to do it. And then all of a sudden he named me Timothy Earl Cash. And then we come along and we get to name and pick those names to say that name's going to be with them for life. Rachel means little lamb and Benjamin means son of my right hand. And, and Jesse means God is. And Hannah means joyful one. And Caleb means courageous one. And I and Barb got to give them their names. Can I tell you what? It's a lot more fun naming a child than it is a pet. But we got to give them their names. And we got to see them grow up every day. And you, when you raise a child, you get to see glimpses of the glory of God unfold in front of you every day. You get to see those little eyes open up. And if you have boys, you realize just because you're changing a diaper when they're four days old, you need another diaper because something happens with the air pressure for a dude. I had to learn that. We take Rachel in for a six-month checkup, and I'm holding her up just going, hey, baby girl, shaking her or whatever. And while my mouth is open, she had a little reflux and puked right in the back of my throat. And I, I, I'm telling you right now, that was a sick taste, but I didn't run in there going, doctor, you can have her. I don't know what to do with this. Those are memories, right? That first time she takes that Sharpie and she makes some marks on that hallway wall, and I look at her and I go, baby girl, did you write right here on the wall with this Sharpie? And she goes, yes, daddy, and I wrote right here and I wrote right here. Y'all remember this? Hey, you got to blame it on the rain, baby. It's going to rain in here a little bit. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. Remember grabbing that little hand for the first time that was covered with peanut butter and jelly, and you got to hold it? You know what you get? You, you never have to grow up when you're a parent. You get to carve pumpkins, play hide-and-seek, catch lightning bugs. Anybody still enjoy that? You get to give pony rides. You get to wrestle. You get to be the man, whether you're out of shape or not. Right? They think you're the strongest thing on the planet. You get to read God's word to them. You get to teach them about Jonah and David and Daniel. You get to teach them about a God that created them and their image. You get to tell them they're fearfully and wonderfully made. You get to do that. You get to pray over them. With my kids, we started praying Luke 2.52 over them right when they were born, where it says that Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God, and favor with man. And we started praying that that child would grow in wisdom, stature, and favor with God, and favor with man. Who else gets to do that? Who else gets to influence future generations? We're not raising kids. We're raising parents. We're raising grandparents. We're raising educators, pastors, doctors, lawyers, theologians. When that little life, you look at them, they're not just a mere child. They're the next generation of influencers that the world is starving to see. And who gets to be a part of that? We do. We get to play pull my finger, which all guys enjoy and no wives like. I've never seen a wife teach their babies. Come here, let me teach you a new game. What's it called? Dads will do it and we'll laugh. And guess what? We'll play it until we die. Come on, guys. You get to be a hero for climbing up on the garage and getting that Frisbee or baseball off the garage. You ever done that? All of a sudden, man, we had a cat named Arabella. Barb's reading this cat storybook to Rachel years ago. And Arabella used to climb up on the screen and somehow get on the top of the roof. And guess what? I used to have to climb up there and, and get that 
cat Arabella off the roof. And guess what Rachel thought? You're the greatest dad. You're the hero. You're my man. We get to do that kind of stuff. It's not that we've got to do it, but we get to do it. We get to take those training wheels off that bicycle. We get to be the first ones that teach them how to crank a car and drive a car. Come on. $245,000, man, is an incredible gift from God that we get to be a part of. You get front row seats, man, to watching history unfold. First words, first steps, buy them their first bra. Come on, girls. We got five kids, and they were separated about almost 12 years. I'll never forget when little dude was about one. Big girl's about 13, and they're going into a store, into a Target or whatever, and Barb's going to the bra department, and I'm going to the huggy department. I'm over there buying pull-ups, and she's over there, and I'm, I'm telling you, I'll never forget going out in the driveway and teaching him how to ride a bicycle, all of a sudden taking the training wheels off, only to walk inside and grab the keys and let her drive me somewhere. Is that fun? I'm telling you what, right now, you, you can't find that kind of entertainment on TV. You get to be a part of healing scraped knees. You get to denounce the monsters under the bed. You get to be a part of helping men broken hearts. I'm telling you right now, it's a beautiful thing. Here's the point. Having kids is fun, but raising kids is work. And people oftentimes are saying, what's the formula? Is there a formula for how to, how to do this? No, there is not. There is not a formula on the planet today that exists that will absolutely give you a foolproof child. Now, are there biblical principles that we can live by, that we can integrate? Absolutely. Absolutely. But there's no formulas. Now, let me give you three that's in your bulletin, and I want you to check them out. Three principles. Number one, as parents, as parents, as parents, develop a passionate relationship with God. That is the most important thing you'll ever bring to your children. That's the most important thing you'll ever bring to your family. Develop a passionate relationship. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4, says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Your walk with Jesus sets the tone for the home. I cannot say that strong enough. When it comes to how we parent, what you value, you live. And it is impossible to mandate what you don't model. It's been said that what you're doing speaks so loud, I can't even hear what you're saying. Kids will duplicate what they see you imitate. And whatever the true value system of my life is, is what's going to drive what I do 24-7. The most important thing I can give to my kids day in and day out is a passionate relationship with, with Christ. The most important thing that Barb can give our kids is a passionate relationship with Jesus Christ. When Jesus is at the center and driving it, you've got a chance to win. Does it mean the kids are always going to make right decisions and do the right thing? No. No, no, but the one thing I can bring to their life every day is my daddy really loves Jesus. The word is important to him. It's not just something he preaches on something uh, on Sunday. It's something he lives every day. Prayer, they pray over us. They pray for us. They, they are standing in the gap with us. 
when it comes to real authentic giving and serving and loving and sharing, what they talk about, they really live. What you value, you pass on. So we can tell people all the time, hey man, your relationship with God is most important. But if I'm valuing the ballpark and if I'm valuing, vac- valuing vacation and all these other things, and that's really the DNA, that's what I'm passing on. Make sense? Number two would be this. So develop a passionate relationship with the Lord. And the number two would be embrace the Bible as your standard. He goes on to say in this Deuteronomy passage here, the words which I am commanding you, Who's speaking? Moses, God's voice piece. He writes the first five books. Now we have the 66 canonized books that we believe are inspired and infallible by God. Listen to me. We've got them, the rhema sayings, the statements, the oracles of God. Listen to what he says. These words which I am commanding you shall be on your heart, not just cognitive concepts. These words shall be buried in your heart. David even said it this way. I have hidden your word in my heart so that I will not sin against you. We have to make sure with all of our being, guys, listen, there is no substitute for the word of God. When we use this book as a negotiated standard and we slay certain principles in it, we're setting ourselves up and everybody around us for failure. This word right here will never, never, never return void. So we know that this word matters. He goes on to say, it shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently, emphasis, sons, daughters, your kids. You shall teach them diligently. You shall, you, you shall share these principles all the time. When? When you sit in your house. When you walk by the way. When you lie down. <laughs> When you rise up, what's he saying? These principles and teachings in this book right here are to be taught 365, 24-7, without compromise and without apology. Hey, 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 hold on. Hold on, let me tell you what God says. Why is that important? When you see people's rebellion, you can look at that person and ask them one question. Who is your authority? If my authority is God, then I have to ask the question, what then do you use as your authoritative standard? The word of God. Why? Because the God of all creation has given us a standard to live by. Make sense? So when we're, we're embracing this, he says, hey, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. Write them on your hand. As frontals on your forehead, write them on the doorpost of your house. Write them at the gates when you come in. Now, we're no more spiritual than anybody else, but if you walk into our house, I can promise you one thing. There's going to be scripture in these rooms of my house when you walk in, you see the word of God. Why? Because we want our kids growing up being able to see and know and hear the word of God. Someone was over the other day, and they're like, so I saw you've got Ephesians 4.29 on your little chalkboard thing, Barb. She goes, yes. Hannah goes, I can quote that for you. Then quote it, baby girl. But guess what? The more you saturate and marinate yourself and your kids in the Word of God, the stronger they're going to be. It doesn't return void. Number three, realize a godly marriage gives stability to children. 
I can't say this long enough or loud enough. When you have a godly marriage, it provides stability for the kids. I know that the greatest gift outside of pointing my kids to Christ that we can give our kids is for Barb and I to love each other, to be for each other, to support each other. Is that important? Yes. It's very important. So I've come to realize when she and I are on the same page and we look at our kids and go, they come and pose a question. Hey, I got a question for you. Okay, what's your question? Can I do or can I go? Have you talked to your mom? Yes. What did she say? Well, she didn't give me an answer. That's a lie. I know her. She gives answers. <laughs> or did you talk to your mom? No, no. And you did ask her, and she did give you something, and then I give you something. If you pit me and her against each other, brother, you're about to wear it. We believe that if you spare the rod, you might just spoil the child. Right? I mean, Benji, the other day when he was at home, he got down my little paint stick thing, and he goes, I remember this. And I said, it didn't hurt you at all. But we were here to help you. You don't pit us against each other. We're not going to hurt you. We want to see you grow. Now, what about if you're single? Because I've got buddies in here that are single dads. I've got women in here that are single mom. And I'm going to tell you something right now. I got a lot of my single people in here that have kids. That's a tough assignment. But I know what you can do. And I know what you can do. And I know what you can do. I know you can pray for God's wisdom. And I know you can pray and ask God to give you the insight in being able to steer that little heart right there that you've got in your life. I know you can do that. And I know that you can also make a pledge before God not to shame the other person. So if you're a mom and all of a sudden that, that child has got this dual visitation, if you shame and, and dog their daddy, that puts them in a very tough place right there. Now, am I saying that? Maybe they don't need somebody to whoop up on them a little bit. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying you can speak blessing statements. You may not have to say he's the greatest thing on the planet. But what you can say is, hey, when you go over there with your dad, now you know the principles of God. And you know what God has to say. Now, mama's going to be praying for you. Mama's here for you. Mama loves you. But, hey, you go over there and love on your dad. And you go over there and be light and, 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 and salt to the world with your dad. Now, you can go live that out. Is it tough? Yes. But can you do it? Yes. And all of a sudden, man, I look at my little dudes here. And I got little dudes in this church right now that they don't have a daddy around them. And you know what I know? I know there's godly men that want to help shepherd their hearts. My girl's weeping right here. But her little dude, Tyler, let me tell you something. Easter weekend, Easter weekend, here he is like four or five years old playing a little t-ball thing for the first time. And when he hung out with my 20-year-old Benji, he looked at him, and he's like, man, it was like he was looking at the fourth member of the Trinity. He was so fired up. But you know what I know? We've got men that will come alongside some of these boys, and we want to help shepherd them. Okay, so you don't have to do this by yourself. Hear my heart. We know it's a tough assignment, but we're here to walk with you. You don't have to walk by yourself. You don't have to walk by yourself. So... I can't emphasize enough, though, that your relationship with Christ has to be the primary, uh, the, uh, it's got to be beyond all, it's got to be the primary relationship that you focus in on. It's got to be what you drill deep in. Psalm 127 is one of my favorite psalms. 
And I would encourage you, it's part of our memory verse, it's on the back of the bulletin, but I want you to get this one right here. Now, Eugene Peterson in the message captures, captures the first three verses in a really cool way. Listen to what he says. If God doesn't build the house, the builders build nothing but shacks. Now, listen to what he goes on to say. If God doesn't guard the city, the night watchman might as well take a nap. If God, if God, it's useless, he says, to rise early, go to bed late, and work your word fingers to the bone. Don't you know the Lord enjoys giving rest to those he loves? What is he saying right here in this first part of Psalm 127? Listen, listen, listen. Your foundation is going to determine your destination. If God ain't building it, and if I'm not submitting to his blueprint, I am going to build a shack. He even says in Matthew, look, look, look. One guy built his house on the rock, and another one built his house on the sand. The storms came, but the one who was on the rock was able to endure. What is he saying? Make sure everything you're doing is to establish your family, establish your home on the Word of God. Then he goes on to say, if God is not keeping watch over it, where does your security come from? It comes from the Lord. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my strength come from? My strength comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So what is he saying? Make sure you realize that you're trusting God. You're resting in God. You can get up early, go out and work all you want to and make all this money and have all this stuff. And he goes, why are you doing it if you're not building it on the foundation of the Lord? The name of the Lord is a strong tower for us, and, and the righteous run into it, and we're saved. Now, listen to what he goes on to say. Verse 3, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward of the Lord. So, kids, children, when they're born, God is giving you a gift. And, and God is giving you a gift to train and raise in the fear and admonition of the Lord. You get to do that. Children born to a young man are like sharp arrows in the hand of a warrior. Every one of these kids, man, we get to release them and shoot them into the world. You go be a difference maker. You go be an initiator. You go be an infiltrator. You go make a difference for the kingdom. Is it possible? It's possible. Jesse and I are having talks the other day. We're about to have a young man conversation, big boy. Sit down. But when you're in the 11th grade, I don't want any more young man conversations. We're going to have man conversations. Benji's at an age now where we have man conversations. And we're going to sit down and talk about man stuff where you become responsible, where character and integrity and work ethic and discipline. Come, come on. See, 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 God's entrusted to us a sacred task of raising a precious gift called children. Children are a gift from the Lord. He goes on to say, how happy is the man whose quiver is full of them. And I'm telling you right now, it's a beautiful thing when God starts to bless you. What are you saying? Children belong to the Lord. The, the, these, these lives that we get entrusted with, they belong to God. I, God is loaning them to me for a period of time to raise them on his behalf. Two. God places incredible value. Let the children come to me. Throughout the pages of the Bible, you'll see children, children. You've got to have childlike faith. God goes, I dig kids big time. Number three, children are one of the greatest gifts that parents will ever have in their journey. Now, Barb and I are in covenant. That's the only covenant outside of Christ that I'm in. But guess what? God has entrusted these lives to me. 
So guess what? We are very selective on who they hang out with and where they go. If I don't know who you are and I don't know enough about your story and you say, hey, can they come and hang? I'm going to be, no. Well, why? Because I don't know enough about you. And God has entrusted that life to me to raise in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And I realize that you may have a white house or you might have an outhouse, but until I know, I'm not letting them go over there. Come on. So this is very important. Now, here's one of the things we've come to realize. Ravi Zacharias made this statement, and I think it is absolutely crucial. Ravi made the statement that rules without relationship lead to rebellion. That rules, laws, without relationship with your kids lead to rebellion. Which is to say, my relationship and having a healthy relationship with our children enhances our ability to have effective parenting with them. Did you get that? There's a lot of kids that grew up with laws and rules and regulations, but the parents never connected with them. What are you saying? I'm saying that it is absolutely essential that you focus on their character and not just their conduct. What, what, focus on their true belief system and not just their behavior. Don't get into where our society is just into behavior modification. Because we're not just trying to see a kid grow up that acts right. We want him to think right, to live right, and to know right. Because whatever their core operational belief system is, it's going to drive their thinking, which drives their emotions, which drive their actions. Come on. And so when you look at them, you're going, man, we've got to capture the essence of their heart. And so, so much of what we did over the years, Crawford Loritz was so huge, uh, and, and his wife Karen for Barb and I, it was character, 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 character. So if we saw character flow, you're not going to get off the hook. Again, I could come home and they would be playing hockey in the yard or whatever, and they would knock a hockey puck through the garage door window. You're going to blow a gasket? Just tell me what happened. Okay, did you ever break a window growing up? Yeah, I did a lot of jacked up stuff, okay? And so when you say, hey, here's what I did, I can handle that. It wasn't a character issue. It was a conduct style thing. Hey, you might want to move out into the road to do this the next time and get away from the garage door. We can correct the behavior if the character's right. Just tell me the truth. So this is crucial. Now, how many of y'all know Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6? Anybody in here know it? All right, got a couple of theologians. Great. I want y'all to know this one, Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way they should go, and when they, were, when they get old, they will not depart from it. I want you to know this one. Train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart. I want, you, I want y'all to get this one. Listen, listen. The word train up literally means to create a thirst within their soul for. So I want to be used by God to look at that child and go, I have been called by God to create a thirst in their soul for the way they should go. What does that phrase, the way they should go, mean? It means according to the God-given unique DNA that God's poured within them. So my job is to look at this child. I used to think that kids were like a blank book. So when you get them, you're you're to write the narrative of their story. Can I tell you something? God's already written in the genes of who they are and in their DNA, certain personalities, certain gifts, certain passions, whatever. My job was not to write the story. My job was to understand how God had wired that life. 
So he says, I want you to create a thirst for them in the way they should go. I want you to get to know their God-given bent so that what you're doing is helping them walk in the way I've bent them with their personalities, gifts, etc. Now, if you do that, when they get old, they will not depart. What do you mean? They're not going to leave who they are because they're walking in who they are. But so many parents are trying to get their kids to live out dreams that belong to them. And so when you start trying to live vicariously through your kids to get needs met that were unfulfilled, you are putting your kids in an awful place. I've had people tell me over the years, I, I, I just don't know what happened. I mean, that one right there is walking with Jesus, but the rest of them are hellraisers, Tim, and we raised them all the same. Well, shame on you for raising them all the same. If you raise them all the same, you've got a problem. They don't. Because they're not all the same. If God says you are fearfully and wonderfully made, then you are. But there ain't nobody else like you. You were born an original, so why should I want to see you die a copy? You are, you're, you're, you're unique. You're one of a kind. That's what he says in Ephesians 2.10, right? We are his workmanship, which means his masterpiece, which means one of a kind piece of art. So, we use the same principles in training our kids, and we use the same principles in raising up our kids, but we didn't raise them all the same. You know why? Because they were different. That would have been unfair to them, would it not? So our world loves formulas and trying to find a cookie cutter that fits everybody. It doesn't exist. But here's the truth. Here's the truth. If you train a child up in the way they should go, and when they get old, they will not depart. Listen to me. When I see you, and I see you, and I see you, I want to see you, and I want to be used by God to create a thirst for you according to the God-given bent that I'm seeing in you so that you start to walk out your faith. Now, when you do that, I come alongside you and go, here's how you're wired. Here's some of your good gifts. Here's how God's kind of put you together. When you start serving in the area of your bent, you do not depart from it because you're dancing according to the unique God-given DNA that's inside of you. All right, enough of that? Makes sense. So parenting, parenting is an, is an absolute thrill by God, but God says, hey, you can't, no two kids are the same. No, you, you, you can't raise them all the same, use the same principles, but, but understand they're a gift from God. Now, Josh McDowell said this, and I want to close with these six simple principles. Josh McDowell shared these six keys that he called it for good parenting. Evidence that demands a verdict. More than a carpenter. More than a carpenter. Tons of stuff that Josh has written. Now, in your bulletin, you'll find these six. But he says this. Affirmation is absolutely crucial in parenting. Because it gives your child a sense of authenticity. You're authentic. You're one of a kind. You're unique. Even when we don't agree with our children, we can still affirm them. Hey, you're an awesome young man. You're an awesome young woman. And I can tell my girls, listen to me. Listen to me. You're worth fighting for. Daddy will die for you until you stand at that altar and take that other guy's hand and you enter into a holy covenant. I, I, I want you to know I'll die for you. And let me tell you this. If he mistreats you, I got some big friends, okay? 
He will figure out that you're worth dying for too, okay? That's good theology, amen? Come on, Derek. Good theology. Affirmation. So he gives them a sense of authenticity. Acceptance. It gives a child a sense of security. I accept you. It basically comes down to the principle of this. It's not how you behave. It's not what you achieve. You're my child and I love you, period. That's the principle. I love you, period. Our love and affection should never be based on behavior and achievements. And I'm not dogging you, but if you've got that sticker on the back of the car that says, my child is an honor roll student, okay, but don't love them based on their grades. Well, I love you because you got a trophy for playing base. Everybody gets a trophy. <laughs> My man Foxworthy said, man, it made me laugh. He's like, it don't teach them anything. In life, there's winners and there's losers. And he made the observation, if you don't believe me, go to Walmart after midnight. I didn't say that, but I thought it was funny. <laughs> but when you accept... <laughs> Now, here's what I want you to hear. What you're saying is this, though. You're not saying, you're not saying this. You're not saying that I endorse your sinful behavior. You hear me? You're not saying if what you're doing is in violation to God and what God has said, you're not saying I endorse your behavior. But you're saying I love you. I embrace you as my child. Now, do you realize that your behavior in living in sin could alter and have impact on the kind of fellowship and relationship we have. Now, that's a truth in parenting. That's parenting 101. I love you. I affirm you. I accept you. But you're living in sin and you're hindering. Appreciation is a third one. It gives a child a sense of significance. And, and I'm telling you, appreciation is one of the most powerful motivations. We were going down the road the other day, and I said, Hannah, I just want to tell you what I appreciate about you, right? And so I'm telling Hannah, Hannah, this is what I appreciate about you. And then I said, Caleb, it was just the four of us. I said, let me tell you what I appreciate about you. So I'm telling them. And then all of a sudden, I get done, and Barb goes, well, you're going to bless me too? You know? <laughs> and you can almost tell the kids were wanting mom to be a part of it as well. But do you want... When you make those blessing statements and appreciation statements and value statements, it gives them a sense of significance. Four, availability. Availability. It gives them a sense of importance. Kids spell love. T-I-M-E. They spell love time. And people used to say, well... It's, it's not the, the quality of it, it's, or, or should I say the quantity of it, it's, it's, it's that quality time you get with them. How do you know when that's going to happen? How, how do you know? How do you know that it's not just out playing ball? How do you know it's not just sitting out there on the, the edge of the lake fishing? How, how do you know when it's going to happen? How do you know it's not driving down the road? You don't know when it's going to happen, but when they know that you're with them and they know that you've got time for them, they feel like a treasured commodity. Come on. Availability. Then affection. And all affection is saying is you're lovable. 
And, 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 and we've got people in this church, man, when we first started coming here, that you would go up and hug them, and man, they were stiff arm you, and they were cold, and they're like looking at you like, what, what, what? and the more you say, hey, hey, look at me. You don't even know who I am. You don't know where I've been. I don't really care. I know who he is and what he's done in me, so you are not the issue. And all of a sudden, people start to relax, and people now come up and hug you. And kids are looking for love. You know the old country song, right? I spent a lifetime looking for you, right? I mean, but, but, it, but it's like people are looking for love. That's the reason Chesterton said, every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. He's looking for love. He's looking for validation. He's looking for completion. What are kids saying? Am I lovable? And if they don't get it from you, they will try to find it somewhere else. Hey, you're lovable. I'm telling you right now, Barb, it still makes me laugh when Benji, as big as he is, comes home and he'll crawl in our bed and crawl at the end of the bed. And I'm looking at him going, listen, dude. And he's like, move your feet. Hush. And so he lays there with us. And then he comes in there and sits on the sofa and he wants to cuddle with his mom. And I'm telling you, that boy takes up some real estate, okay? But I'm like, you ought to be holding her. Here she is holding you. And mom, you mind rubbing my head? Mom, you can you? And I'm like, look at that. But you know what? He's like, he's like Buddy the Elf. I look at him going, man, you're so big, boy, come here. But when you see that, the affection, and Hannah will do that, and Jesse, and Ke- they love to cuddle. Hey, come here. Jesse, get your shoulders out of my ribs right now. But you know what they're saying? Am I lovable? Yeah. And then accountability. It gives them a sense of responsibility. Children need the disciplines of responsibility and self-control to be able to function at the highest level. When you do everything for them, you're refusing to let them grow up to be who God's called them to be. When that woman told those kids around eight years old, and they get on a schedule, and I looked at her, and I'm like, here Caleb is. He can wash his clothes, dry his clothes, fold his clothes, and put them away. You know what she basically said? You're accountable, homie. If you want clean drawers, wash them, dry them, fold them, put them away. (laughs) But you know what? When you do everything for them, what you're doing is you're not empowering them to become responsible and accountable. All these boys, hey, you got J-O-Bs, baby. You're going to cut grass, you're going to pull weeds, you're going to learn how to weed eat. You're going to get out and work, right? That's the way my dad trained me. He didn't ask me at nine years old if I wanted to get in the truck with him, that drywall truck with corner bead and sheetrock mud. He didn't ask me if I wanted to spot nails and sand drywall in the middle of the summer. He never asked me, what do you think? (laughs) We, We were cutting up the other day. And uh, I don't know if the coach was playing around or serious, but he asked Caleb, he said, do you want to play fall ball? And he goes, no, nah, we don't play fall ball. We, we, we take it off as a family. He's like, well, it's not your parents' decision, it's yours. I'm like, are you serious? Listen to me, homeboy. That 10-year-old that uses my electricity and eats my food, the one that I've, about $1.55 an hour I've got invested in, You're going to tell me that he's going to make the rules of how we do life? Come here, coach. Man, you need to talk. Because you got this thing backwards, homie. Come on. Parenting is a blast. I'm telling you right now, it's work. There's a lot of late nights. 
I mean, Barb told me there's a lot of late nights. I sleep through a storm, but I'm telling you right now, I was up all night. That one was throwing up. Which one? I didn't hear a thing, baby. You're an awesome woman, Barb. But no, you know as well as I do, there's a lot of work that goes into it. But I'm telling you, when you start to look at this parenting and saying, these are gifts of God. I get to come alongside and train them in the way they should go so that when they get old, they will not depart from it. I get to be a part of a life-breathing movement. I get to be a part of raising up future teachers and pastors and doctors and, and, and people that are going to infiltrate the world with the good news of the gospel. That's the reason the Muslims have so many stinking kids. It's because they're trying to reshape history by having all these kids. You know what? We get that sacred responsibility to bring them up. Come on. So there is no guilt in this. This is an invitation to say God's got a blueprint. Hey, let's love him. Let's make that relationship with him first and foremost. I don't care how old you are. It's not too late to get born again and to be rebirthed from above. God wants to transform you. You, if you're married, you and your wife, if you're single, hey, make this right here the governing standard of how you do life. Grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of God will never return void. We're going to go ahead and build on this and to realize the stability that the kids can have when they see two people in love with each other modeling and then mandating, here's the way this is going to work. Focus on that heart. Focus on that character. Focus on that belief system. God's going to use you to influence future generations. Let's pray. 